Amen. Amen. Hey, are you guys having a good day at camp? Everyone have a good day at camp? Good, 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 good. So I think I was in the fourth grade, and I was in Mrs. Mayfield's class. And every month, Mrs. Mayfield would switch around the seating rotation. So we were constantly sitting with different people. And on this particular, on this particular Monday, I walked into class, and sitting across from me was none other than Brittany. And all I got to say, you guys, this is before I knew Sarah, okay? Before I knew Sarah, my little fourth grade brain, Brittany was everything. And I'm sitting across from Brittany. As the week goes on, we're kind of talking at our table and getting to know each other a little bit better. And then all of a sudden, Brittany, all of a sudden, Brittany, uh, one, one morning during class, she starts playing footsies with me underneath the table. Now, here's the thing, you guys. Here's the thing. It, 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 you remember, you remember, it wasn't that long ago that for a fourth grader, when you're playing footsies underneath the table, the natural next step is marriage. That's just how it works, right? That, that's just what happens. So, another week goes by, and then all of a sudden, Brittany says, Eric, I'd love for you to come over to my house this weekend. <laughs> and... Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I didn't need the verified check. I had arrived. I had fully arrived at this point. And she said, Eric, I want you to come over because I have a trampoline in my backyard. She said, I have, my mom stocks the cabinet with fruit roll-ups and Capri Suns. You know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about. And in my, in my fourth grade brain, in my fourth grade brain, I'm thinking, well, I want to marry her. This is the perfect wedding reception. Everything you just described is exactly what I'd want. So mom and I jump in the minivan that Saturday morning, and we cruise over to Brittany's house. And we're jumping on the trampoline, having a great time. Our moms are talking and hanging out. And then Brittany says to me, she says, hey, Eric, did you bring your rollerblades? And I said, of course, I bring my rollerblades everywhere I go. Yeah, yeah, I got my blades. And she said, let's rollerblade to the bottom of the hill because our moms aren't there. I know. I know. I know, you guys. I know. I know. God answers prayers. God answers prayers. <laughs> So we rollerblade down to the bottom of the hill. <laughs> we rollerblade to the bottom of the hill. And Brittany says, Brittany says, Eric, I want you to close your eyes. <laughs> and and I, you got to be, you got to, you got to, I, I got to be honest with you guys. I got to be honest with you. I got to be honest with you, I started to get a little nervous. I started to get a little nervous because up to this point, up to this point, like, I've only kissed mom and dad. Like, I don't know how to kiss a girl, and so I'm freaking out. And so I close my eyes, 
I close my eyes and I kind of prepare for this moment. While I have my eyes closed, Brittany, Brittany goes back into like this little dirt pile and she grabs these two clods of dirt and she just dumps them on my hands. Like if I'm waiting, she just dumps them on my hands and she's like, ha ha ha, and just starts like rollerblading away, right? And I'm just saying, I'm just saying, it was, uh, it was the best Saturday of my life, right? Best Saturday of my life. So Monday rolls around. Monday rolls around. And I show up to class. And Mrs. Mrs. Mayfield, she has changed the seating rotation. And all of a sudden... All of a sudden, I'm sitting all the way over here by myself. Brittany is sitting all the way over here. And sitting across from Brittany is a kid named David. Now, David. Yeah. Yeah. David. David. David had great, David had great hair. David had a great smile. David had great eyes. All the girls loved David. I hated David. And all the way from over here, all the way from over here, I look over at David and Brittany. And they're playing footsies underneath the table. <laughs> you guys, here's the, let me confess to you. Let me confess to you. Let me confess to you. The saddest part about that whole story, the saddest part about that whole story is that that happened, that story happened 25 years ago. And, and as I'm telling you this story right now, I'm still really angry at David, okay? Like it's still impacting me. You guys, here's the thing about life. Here's the thing about life. Here's the thing about life. Life is painful. Life is hard. Life is messy. And I don't want you to raise your hand right now. I don't want you to raise your hand. But I bet if I asked you, has there ever been someone in your life that you thought they were one person and then some events transpired, some things happened, and you realized they weren't the person that you thought they were. I wonder if for some of us, stay with me, guys. I wonder if for some of us, the reason we haven't fully given ourselves to Jesus is we're afraid that we're going to find out some things about him that are different than what we thought. 
Or maybe one of the reasons you haven't given yourself to Jesus is you just don't know a lot about him. And you've lived life long enough to know that people can hurt you, that people could let you down, that people could betray you. And there's a part of you that's, that's reserving yourself, that's holding yourself back, that's protecting yourself from possibly being hurt by this Jesus. And Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8 says, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And so in, in our terms, what that means is as we learn things about Jesus's character, as we learn things about his heart, as we see him do things, we can trust, because we talked about it this morning, we can trust the Bible, it's reliable, and so when it tells us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, it means what we experience him doing in the Gospels, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the historical accounts of the life of Jesus, what we see him doing and how we see him interacting is exactly how he wants to interact with us. The ways that he loves people in the Gospels is exactly how he wants to love you. And how he wants to love me. A.W. Tozer, this brilliant thinker and writer and Christian, he once said God's sovereignty is the attribute by which he rules his entire creation. And to be sovereign, God must be all-knowing, all-powerful, and absolutely free. And what I want to do tonight I saw, see so many of you with your journals. I'm so glad you brought those, your journals and your pens. Here, here's what I want to talk about. I want us to see God's sovereignty through Jesus. I want us to see how Jesus is absolutely free, how he's all-knowing and how he's all-powerful. And then how he uses our pain for good. Here's what I want you to write down to begin tonight. I want the title for tonight to be this, Four Things Jesus Always Is. I want you to write that down. Four Things Jesus Always Is. Now, now remember, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, who he was in this story is the same person he is today in your life and in my life. So write that down with me. Four Things Jesus Always Is. Is If you got your Bibles with you, open up to John chapter 4. We're continuing to slowly make our way through the gospel of John. The gospel of John, while you're flipping there, is the fourth gospel. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. It's the fourth New Testament book. It's the fourth historical account of the life of Jesus. A reliable and trustworthy document. And John walked with Jesus. And he recorded this story, not just for himself, not just for those first followers, but for you and for me. And as we watch Jesus interact with this woman, I want us to put ourselves in her shoes and consider that maybe Jesus wants to meet you, encounter you, interact with you the same way tonight. Big idea number one is this. Jesus is always completely free. 
Jesus is always completely free. John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it goes like this. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. This is not a part of the sermon. I just feel led to share this real quick. Do you see, do you see what Jesus chooses to do as soon as someone begins to gossip, as soon as someone begins to stir up some drama? Jesus says, peace, I'm out. That as soon as somebody tries to create some kind of drama, some kind of disunity, Jesus says, I am not about that. And he exits the building. Friends, I, I just, I'm just going to say this. For some of you, for some of you, your primary bond and connection with the people closest to you is through gossip it's through lying about other people. It's through stirring up drama in youth groups, stirring up drama in your home, stirring up drama at school and in your friendships. And I just want you to know Jesus ain't down with it. He's not about it. In fact, as soon as that kind of stuff starts happening, Jesus says, I ain't, I ain't here. I can't, I can't be about this. Verse four, now Jesus had to go through Samaria. If you like to underline in your Bible, underline that word had. We're going to come back to it. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sechar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, and it was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? For his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew. I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? And then if it weren't so obvious, John puts these, these extra bits of information. He says, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. What you need to know is culturally, historically, Jews and Samaritans never hung out in the same groups. They never went to the same churches. They were never a part of the same life groups. They were never doing life together. In fact, Jewish people would grow up telling stories about how awful those Samaritans were, and Samaritans would grow up hearing stories about how awful those Jews were. There was over 600 years of hatred, racism, prejudice, disgust between these two groups of people. And much less... For Jesus, being a Jewish man, to have a conversation with a Samaritan woman, it, it was unheard of. Now, the text says that Jesus decides to leave Judea and to travel to Galilee, but it says that he went, that he had to go through Samaria. Now, this is really interesting because most Jews, most Jews had such a disgust for Samaritans. They had such distrust for Samaritans. They had so many preconceived notions, so many prejudices against Samaritans that if a Jew was to travel from Judea to Galilee, they would go the longer route, which was a Six-day journey north to Jericho. They would cross the Jordan River, and then they would continue north into Galilee. And it took six days. But Jesus, he went the shorter path, the path that nobody took. In fact, it was 
half as long. It only took three days. And it was the path straight from Judea through Samaria to Galilee. But in order for Jesus to do this, he had to position himself, put himself in a hostile location. It says that this this woman was at the well at noon. This is another historical clue that John is giving us about the context of this story. That not only is there a Jew and a Samaritan interacting, Jesus and this Samaritan woman, but this woman happens to be at the well at noon. It was very culturally common for women to go to the well to draw water early in the morning and in the evening for two reasons. Number one, it was a social time. These groups of women would gather together, and as they were drawing water, they were connecting with each other. They were socializing. Number two, it just made practical sense because the morning and the evening are cooler times of the day. But this woman is not at the well in the morning. She's not at the well in the evening. She's at the well in the middle of the day, the hottest part of the day, and no other women are there with her. What that tells us is there was something going on in her life, in her situation, in her past that had exiled her from community, that had created barriers and distance with those relationships. She's isolated and she's alone. In other words, think about this. According to Jesus' cultural customs as a Jewish man, he is in the wrong place, Samaria. He is there at the wrong time, noon, and he's there interacting with the wrong person, a Samaritan woman. But Jesus doesn't care about breaking those customs because he deeply cares about this woman. You see, the first thing we learn about Jesus that's true in this story, and it's true in your life and my life, is that he is absolutely free. That he's absolutely free to come into our lives, to make his presence known. That in fact, those, those times where we push him away, or we want nothing to do with him, or we slander him, or we even make fun of Christians... That Jesus is absolutely free, and because he's absolutely free, he uses that to enter into our lives, to make his presence known. You see, Jesus is absolutely free to do anything he wants, and he chooses to use his freedom to meet this woman. To, to connect with her, to show her his presence, to love her like she has never been loved before. Jesus is completely free. Number two, go ahead and write this down. Jesus is always all-knowing. So Jesus is completely free. And number two, Jesus is always all-knowing. Knowing. The story continues. 
Verse 10, Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Dude, y'all... Y'all thought The Bachelorette was juicy? Just read the Bible. This book's crazy. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus reveals here that he is all-knowing of this woman's situation. And what this tells you and I is that Jesus is all-knowing about our situations. That just as he was all-knowing about this woman's sin, Jesus is all-knowing about your sin and my sin. Make no mistake about it, friends. Your brokenness, your sin, is known completely by Jesus. And at the same time, you are safe in his hands. You are safe in his hands. You see, in, in verse 10 and verse 14, twice Jesus tells her the good news. He talks about having living water. He says, anyone who comes to me, he's inviting her. He's saying, I am offering eternal life. But then he says to her, in order for you to experience this living water, we've got to address the thing that's keeping you away from me. We've got to address the sin going on in your life that I know about. You see, friends, God hates your sin because your sin hurts you. I mean, the reason God... God isn't just this mean bully. He, 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 he doesn't just hate our sin for a pointless reason. God hates our sin because he's watching how it's destroying and wrecking our lives. He's watching how your sin is, is corroding you from the inside out, how it's destroying you and disconnecting you from him and healthy relationships. God hates your sin because it hurts you. And he knows it. 
He knows your sin and he knows you. Look what it says in Psalm 139. Just a few verses, verse seven. Where can I go from your spirit, David says? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. David says there's no place I can go to escape from you. And then in verse 13, he says, for you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. God knit you together. He sees all the brokenness and he sees all the beauty. God knit you together before anyone even knew that you were coming into this world. That God has been intimately involved in your life from the very beginning. And that even if, even if, and I'm so sorry this breaks my heart if this is true for you, even if you're in a family or a living situation where people are telling you or making you feel as if you're an accident or you shouldn't be here or you're a problem or they wish you weren't there, you need to know that the creator of the stars of the universe That the God who holds it all together, who breathes life into Adam and Eve, knit you together and brought you here. That he loves you. That he loves you. He loves you. I was in a knitting class in middle school. I was in a knitting class in middle school. And I signed up for the class because it was only girls in the class. And I felt like my odds are good. And here was my game plan. My game plan was to spend the entire class just talking with girls and hanging out and having fun. And, and, and our teacher said, here's your one assignment for the whole semester. I want you to knit together a pillow. I thought, I'm going to do this in half of the first period. And then the rest of the semester, I'm going to be hanging out with my friends. Friends, here's the true story. I literally spent that entire semester staring down at this pillow, trying to knit it together, poking myself in the finger, getting frustrated. By the end of the semester, I had the most nasty pillow. I mean, this thing was ugly. But I had spent an entire semester trying to to put this pillow together. And as I reflected back on that, I learned a few things about sewing, about knitting. It takes time. It takes intentionality. It takes purpose. It takes a love for the thing that you're making. And I don't think it's accidental that God inspired David to use that picture to describe how God brought you here. It's intentional that you're here. God knit you together. He loves you. And he knows you completely. Number three, big idea number three is this. Jesus is always all-powerful. Number three, Jesus is always all 
powerful. Let's get back to our story. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers, they will worship the Father in the Spirit and in truth. And they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Jesus in the Gospels is not always this explicitly clear about his identity. And yet, to me, it's really, really beautiful. I'm just kind of thinking about this right now. It's really, really beautiful that he chose to be incredibly clear about who he is, that he is the Christ and the Messiah to a woman that had been isolated and ostracized from her community who thought that God could never want a relationship with her, that he wants her to know The guy talking to you, the guy willing to engage in this relationship, the guy that wants to offer you eternal life is the Messiah. The story continues, verse 27. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a woman. But no one asked, what do you want or why are you talking with her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. You see, Jesus, his power is on display here. Not only did he miraculously know her sin, but he is claiming to have the power to unify a group of people that had hundreds of years of hatred and prejudice between them. Two groups of people that never, ever, ever spent time together. Jesus is claiming to have the power to bring them together, that they might both be invited to worship God in spirit, not on this mountain or that mountain, but to actually worship Jesus together. And if you keep reading past John 4, you'll continue to see miracle after miracle after miracle displaying Jesus' all-powerful nature. And he didn't just stop there. He continues to this day. My wife Sarah and I, over 10 years ago, were in Kenya, Africa on a missions trip. And while we were in Kenya, we stopped at this orphanage. This orphanage led by this this incredible couple named Joshua and Miriam in Eldoret, Kenya. And, and they felt God calling them to create an orphanage for babies that had HIV or AIDS. And so they would, they, would, they would sometimes find these abandoned babies or people would bring them these babies and they would take care of them. And it was incredibly important to their nourishment that these babies had milk. And as we were sitting one day in this orphanage with 
Joshua and Miriam, they, they were telling us stories of how God's power had been on display, how God had shown up through their ministry. And I remember Miriam saying, you know, there, there was one day where we ran out of milk, had no more milk in the fridge. And we began, we began to get really desperate and worried and concerned because these babies needed milk and we didn't have any. And so we prayed and we prayed and we asked God for a miracle. We asked God to provide, to, to put his power on display. And then Miriam, with tears in her eyes, said a couple hours later, they heard a knock on the door. And Miriam opened the door. And it was a delivery truck man. And he said, ma'am, I'm sorry to bother you. But I'm a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a milk truck driver. And my truck just broke down in front of your house. And it's full of milk. And it's all going to go bad. Do you need some? <laughs> and Miriam said, <laughs> Miriam said, uh, yeah, we need some. You see, Jesus continues to show up powerfully, whether it's reconciling a broken relationship, whether it's providing in a miraculous way, whether it's forgiving our sin, whether it's healing our bodies, our hearts, our lives, and ultimately promising us heaven. And our last big idea, number four, is this. Jesus is always able to use your pain for good. Number four, Jesus is always able to use your pain for good. Verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the Savior of the world. These Samaritans get it. This group of people that... Every Jew in Jesus' culture would have said, do not go talk with them. Jesus makes it clear that he's the Messiah. He stays with them longer than he intended to be there, and they proclaim that he is the Savior of the world. But that all started. Don't miss this. That all started. Because a broken, hurting, sinful woman was willing to go into her community and say, I want to introduce you to somebody who told me about my past, who knows about my sin, who is very familiar with all of my brokenness and yet still wants me and yet still loves me and cares for me. When Sarah and I 
we just, you guys, we talked about, we, my wife Sarah and I just celebrated our 13-year wedding anniversary. When we, it's awesome. When we had been married eight years, when we had been married eight years, we were up at Hume Lake, and, and we decided to get away for a lunch to celebrate our anniversary, and we decided to do this thing. We said, we've been married eight years, what if we make a list of the eight great things that we've seen God do in our marriage over these last eight years? So we just said, Let, let's think back on what were those eight things that we've seen God do over the last eight years? And what happened stunned both of us. As we began to make a list of the eight things that changed us, that transformed us, that, was, that were so powerful and impactful in our lives, six of those eight things were really, really painful. Six of those eight things, when we were going through them, we wanted to get out of it as quickly as possible. Six of those eight things, when we were going through them, we did not see how things were going to get better. And yet after some time had passed, when we looked back, they made the list. They made the list of things that had changed us. And the same is true that, that Jesus has the power to take your pain, your sin, and your brokenness, and to do something good and glorious with it. And so the question I want to leave you with tonight is this. And I want you to talk about this tonight in your cabins. What hard thing in your life are you struggling to trust in Jesus' hands? What hard thing in your life are you struggling to trust in Jesus' hands? And I can understand that can be scary, but I want to remind you of this. That since Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he was completely free to love the Samaritan and he's completely free to love you. That Jesus knew all the things she had gone through and he knows all the things you've gone through. That Jesus is all powerful to invite her into a healing relationship with himself and with others. And he is all powerful to do the same in your life. And just as Jesus was able to take her pain and do something good and beautiful with it, he can do the same and wants to do the same in your life. That's the truth of Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your beautiful stories that are recorded for us. But I thank you that they're not just stories about something you did long ago that doesn't apply to us or that we can't hope for the same, but, but they're stories told so that we would know exactly how you want to interact with us, exactly what you want to do in our life. See, the, the, the truth of you, Jesus, is not what you did, but what you continue to do. So God, we thank you that you are absolutely free, that you are all-knowing, that you are all-powerful, and that you can take 
the brokenness of our lives and do something good with it? Would you begin that work tonight? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.